0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hi, Amanda Smith here, and this is Sporty. One of the most fraught and complicated questions in sport is just who is eligible to play in women's competition? Effectively, who qualifies as a woman? Is it fair for transgender women to compete in women's events? Is it fair for women with conditions that mean they have naturally elevated testosterone levels to compete against other women? In both cases, if it is, should it be according to certain stipulations and what are they? A ruling that's pending in the Court of Arbitration for Sport could change the current rules. Joanna Harper is a scientist by profession, a medical physicist in Portland, Oregon, and a runner by passion, and she's advised the International Olympic Committee on its policies around transgender competitors. It all started as a personal experiment back in 2004.
2: Yes, I was an experiment of one originally. Uh, You know, as a scientist and a transgender person, I knew that when I started to medically transition, which means going on an anti-androgen drug plus estrogen, I knew I would get slower, but I thought it would be a very gradual process and that I wouldn't get that much slower. But I was wrong on both counts. Within weeks of starting my hormone therapy, I was noticeably slower. And within nine months, I was running 12% slower. And that's the difference between serious male distance runners and serious female distance runners. And I was amazed that that could happen. So I started to learn more about the endocrinology, the exercise physiology, and eventually I found other trends women that I could gather data from. And more
1: on that ongoing research later. Now, there's an organisation in the UK called Fair Play for Women that's campaigning against the inclusion of transgender women in female sporting competition. Nicola Williams is the director of Fair Play for
3: Women. This isn't any judgment on transgender people and the choices that they make. This is about looking at the reality of someone's body and whether they have a male performance advantage over females. And I think that the categorisation that allows a male-born transgender person to compete in female sport is wrong at the moment. Well, your concern is to protect women's sport. So how
1: does the inclusion of transgender athletes threaten women's sport?
3: When a male-born person is transitioning to female, what is most common now is that they will go on hormone therapy to change the secondary sex characteristics of their body. What doesn't happen is that their body actually turns into a female body. Um, Some of the changes that happen to the male body through male puberty are irreversible, for example, the size of someone's hands. You know, Males will have large hands, which make them good at catching and throwing. They'll have longer limbs, which makes them better at running and cycling. They'll have a different pelvis size, a narrower pelvis compared to females. And that changes the rotational angle of the legs, for example. So that changes their ability to run and cycle. So those types of differences between male bodies and female bodies exist and will impact on the performance of different athletes. So anyone who has been born male, been through a male puberty, will have inherited advantage because of that maleness. Um, And for that reason, it's unfair to compete against female-bodied athletes who don't have those advantages.
1: For reasons of physical differences, sport divides into competition for men and for women. But not everyone fits neatly into these categories and not everyone agrees who belongs where. Emily Fox is an Aussie rules football player with the St Kilda Sharks. Bowie Stover is a jiu-jitsu martial artist. And Ryan Storr is the co-founder of Proud to Play. It encourages LGBTQI young people to get involved in sport. Ryan's also a lecturer in sport development at Western Sydney University. Emily, you're a trans woman. Now, playing on a woman's footy team, Does this has this caused you or your competitors any problems?
0: A lot of the discourse around my eligibility to play women's football obviously has a major personal impact on me. Uh, In regards to my teammates, my coaching staff, my club, opposition players, I've really only ever had utmost support. It's mainly those external voices outside of my football career that are the ones that are making lots of questioning. And it does impact you personally because when you feel like you belong in a space but people outside of that space are telling you that you're not allowed to be in there, it's very confronting
1: well, you you play at community level. If, say, an AFLW team wanted to recruit you, would they be able to?
0: Currently, they can. The AFL has launched their trans inclusion policy for the elite level. Uh, there are some limitations on participation. I know with my athletic ability, I would be able to make yes, it because, quite easily. Because
1: they take account of not only... Hormone levels, but also things like height and weight, and your bench press max, your strength, and stuff like that. So you would you would qualify?
0: I'd say the vast majority of every single trans woman would fit well below those requirements. Now, yes.
1: Well, Bowie, you identify as non-binary. Uh, you practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a martial art. Why is jiu-jitsu your physical thing?
4: It's because I don't have a space in team sports to play. Um, being non-binary and not feeling as though I fit within classically male or classically female, and it's just, which is so pronounced in sport. Absolutely, it's it's all there is. So I actually decided to step away from trying to participate within team sports. Um, my life, I've grown up playing soccer, and decided that for me to feel like I could actually be comfortable participating in a sport that I would have to go to something that was like a a singular activity, so to speak, where it's myself versing an opponent. And the school that I learn at, the sessions are open. So we go based so on So you can your... compete against any gender? Correct. Well, it's not competition. During training and drilling. It's just open mat. So it's everyone who's of a specific belt level because you're graded on your skills based on the belt colour that you have. And... There's no men's classes, there's no women's classes, it's just this is your level, so this is this is what you do, we all practice together. And coming up, my school is hosting a competition that is not gendered, it's based on belt level and weight, so it's open to anyone within that skill set. So for me, it's a really inviting space because I'm not having to um, quote-unquote pick a gender with which I want to compete against, it's just against anyone who may happen to be able to match my skills. Ryan, your organisation Proud to Play
1: works on the principle that that sport should be welcoming for everyone and it's very hard to disagree with that. But sport is also, as we've been saying, you know, generally a very gendered thing. It takes a binary approach to gender because it is a, a physical contest. How do you see the debate around trans women competing in sport against cisgender women?
5: I think one of the main misunderstandings around this debate is that many people discuss whether trans women have an advantage in the context that they believe they're biological male and that they're starting at the race of a line, for example, as a man. Well, that's not the case because these trans women have had to to actually be able to compete, um, take certain steps of part of their... and whether it be socially or uh, medically, affirm their gender identity.
0: Emily,
1: do you want to... Say something to that.
0: I know that if I was to play against Liz Cambridge in basketball, who's 40 centimetres taller than me and 40 kilos heavier than me, I can't argue that I've got an advantage over her.
1: So what do you say then to arguments that someone who's gone through... Puberty as male and developed size and strength, who then transitions, uh, even though they have reduced their testosterone levels, still does have an unfair advantage in sport competing against
0: cisgender women. Once you choose to transition, a lot of those factors around what a testosterone puberty has done to me are eliminated. I've definitely lost a considerable amount of strength. I do have a lot of issues recovering from injuries, more so than prior to that. Yeah, there's significant changes in my body. The things that tend to stick around are the ones that you don't want to stick around. For example, my voice is deeper than most women I know. I have... I'm a bit jealous of that. Oh. I'd like a deeper voice. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll always win the Elvis impersonation contests. I can tell you. <laughs> um, but when it comes to actual physical ability, your muscle capacity, things like that, I'm carrying around a larger skeletal frame without the musculature to support that. So it actually greatly minimises my capacity to carry this frame. It makes me slower, makes me less agile.
1: Compared to the women you're competing with?
0: Cis women, yes.
1: The question being debated in international sport at the moment centres on how far testosterone levels should be lowered in transgender athletes to permit their participation in women's sport. Now, there's no doubt that suppressing testosterone reduces athletic performance. So let me ask Nicola Williams if for her organisation, Fair Play for Women, there is an acceptable level of testosterone reduction.
3: You're right that... By taking testosterone levels down, performance will decrease. But the key here is that it doesn't eliminate the male performance advantage completely. And that's because it's not really about what testosterone is in the body now. It's about what did the testosterone do previously when the body was growing and developing through male puberty. And so there will be some irreversible male characteristics that will be retained even after testosterone suppression. So, actually, no, there is no level of testosterone suppression that would wipe away all of the male performance advantage.
1: Do you also argue that there are any kind of psychosocial factors, advantages?
3: Certainly, boys are brought up to consider being more physically active than girls and there will be uh, social pressures that disadvantage girls and also females are underrepresented at elite sport for many, many reasons and certainly anything that makes it more difficult for females to get to the top is something that we really need to look carefully about. You're listening to Sporty
1: and a discussion that's canvassing a range of views about the participation of trans women in female sporting competition. I'm Amanda Smith. Now, the policies and rules around all this vary for different sports and they've also been shifting quite a lot in recent years. For example, generally, sex reassignment surgery is no longer an eligibility requirement. Joanna Harper, who's advised the IOC on transgender participation, explains why surgery is no longer a qualification for the Olympic Games, although until 2015 it was.
2: That, that's correct. The official verbiage was that requiring people to have surgery to participate in sports was not consistent with human rights And, you know, I think it's pretty hard to say to somebody, you know, you have to go under a surgeon's knife to compete.
1: So does hormone therapy do pretty much the same thing?
2: Oh, absolutely. I know trans women whose testosterone levels have gone up after they've had surgery because their suppressive hormone therapy was so effective at reducing testosterone.
1: Now, of course, we're... In this whole discussion, always talking about transgender people who've gone from male to female, are there any issues around the other way, transgender men?
2: Yes, there there actually are. Traditionally, people have thought, well, trans men are never going to be able to compete with typical men. Um, But trans men, as part of their transition, are allowed to inject testosterone and no other athletes are allowed to do that. They are only allowed a therapeutic use exemption or TUE to bring their testosterone levels up to typical male. So they're not allowed unlimited testosterone. But, you know, it's also a very interesting question of what exactly the testosterone injections do to the athletic capabilities of trans men. And I think we're starting to see that at least in some sports, trans men can be Fairly competitive. The most interesting data that I have is on a swimmer named Skylar Baylor, who over four years of swimming after he transitioned has taken 10% off of his swim times. It's a testament to Skylar's hard work. It's also a testament to the power of, of testosterone. But Skylar still isn't quite as competitive as a men's swimmer as he was as a women's swimmer. Prior to transition, he swam on a relay with Katie Ledecky, Olympic gold medalist here in the States. But, but he has been pretty successful. And in fact, I, I recently read an article that suggested that trans men are drug-fueled XX supermen waiting to take over men's sports, which I, I think is a little bit hyperbolic. But I, I, I do think that we will see more trans men being successful in men's sport. Wow. But coming back to
1: trans women and sport, the current debate was sparked off by Martina Navratilova, the former tennis champ and gay rights campaigner, when she said she wouldn't want to compete against a transgender woman. It wouldn't be fair, is what she said. Navratilova was criticised for being transphobic, But other champion sportswomen, including the British runners Paula Radcliffe and Kelly Holmes, publicly agreed with her. Ryan Storr from Proud to Play, the Australian organisation that encourages young LGBTQI people to get involved in sport, finds this discomforting.
5: Yeah it's a really interesting one. Um, as a gay person I think it's pretty disheartening and I'd speak for probably other people in the LGBT community saying for someone who's been at the forefront of equality and especially around lesbian and gay and bisexual inclusion to then come out against your own community in the transgender community is pretty disheartening. Um, and I would say to these athletes, too, if they're really concerned, there are avenues and communication channels to do that. But by using your Twitter account to basically ignite hatred and increase nasty rhetoric, I think it's a pretty awful use of your platform to be doing. And it's not necessarily coming from a, a place of information. Like Martina researched it for a couple of weeks or something and then made comment. Like, there are experts out there who are still grappling with these complex ideas.
1: And one of those experts grappling with the complexities is Joanna Harper. After studying her own physical changes as a runner when she transitioned, she's researching other transgender women and their athletic performance. So, by what degree does the reduction of testosterone levels need to be set at to make it fair for transgender women to compete in women's events?
2: That's a very good question. How close do they have to get to other women before it's quote unquote fair? Certainly not all of the athletic advantages that trans women have will go away with hormone therapy. In particular, height doesn't reduce at all. Um, Cardiovascularly, trans women undergo a pretty much complete transformation from typical male to typical female values. Strength is is somewhat different. After transition, trans women will be somewhere in between typical male and typical female strength. And I really would like to get more data on that, but I don't have anything to nail it down further than that right now. But what that all means is that even after hormone therapy, trans women will be taller, bigger, and stronger on average than cisgender women. But trans women will also have disadvantages, too. The size of the frames of transgender women won't change, but they have a substantial reduction in aerobic capacity, a substantial reduction in muscle mass. And this can lead to disadvantages, too. It's like a big car with a small engine competing against a small car with a small engine. And so how these advantages and disadvantages play out will be different in different sports. We're only just beginning to scratch the surface on this.
1: Well, if we're looking at testosterone levels, the current IOC requirement is that in women's competition, testosterone levels can be up to 10 nanomoles per litre. Does that stipulation need to come down, in your view, Joanna, to say under five or under three nanomoles per litre, given that um, on average women's testosterone levels are around between 0.5 and about 2.5 nanomoles per litre?
2: Yes, I definitely think those levels do need to come down. I was part of a committee that in 2017 recommended to the IOC that they reduce the level from 10 to five nanomoles per liter, and and you know it, it must be understood that that's a maximum level. The hormone therapy that trans women undergo is designed to bring them down under two. So the idea that you know most of the trans women will be at this upper limit is certainly not true. Most trans women, regardless of the limit, will be within the same testosterone-based range as typical women. But it won't always be true. And you definitely need to put a limit. And putting it at five is approximately the same limit that women with a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS have. So there will be some, quote unquote, typical women who will also have testosterone up. Op- two, approximately five. And that was part of the reasoning of our committee's recommendation.
1: Well, we're we're waiting on a decision from the Court of Arbitration for Sport, Joanna, where the South African runner, Custis Semenya, is challenging a ruling by the International Athletics Federation uh, that women like her who have differences in sexual development, uh, and that means they have naturally high testosterone levels, are going to have to reduce their testosterone with hormone therapy to that limit of five nanomoles per litre. What's your view on that?
2: Well, uh, I testified for the IAAF at that trial, so I think that's a reasonable thing to do. And, And it should be noted the vast majority of people that we might call intersex would not be affected by this. Only those intersex people with these differences of sexual development or DSDs that result in near male athletic advantage would be affected by this rule. But, but certainly the IAAF rule sets five. And if the IAAF wins the decision, then I have little doubt that the IOC will bring the transgender rule down to five to match the IAAF rule.
1: One of the issues for the campaign group Fair Play for Women is that for such a long time there's been female disadvantage and discrimination in sport. Let's not forget that the modern Olympic Games was created as a male-only event, and it's taken a lot of arguing and campaigning for women to be able to participate, to compete but surely transgender women also have that right to participate, to compete. Nicola Williams
3: from Fair Play for Women. Everybody has the right to participate in sport, but we don't all have the right to participate in any category that we choose. So as an adult, I wouldn't participate in a child's category. Now, no-one's discriminating against me because of that. It's actually the fair thing to do, and everyone accepts that. So in the same way that if it's shown that transgender women have an unfair advantage in the female category, then it's not discrimination to exclude them. It's actually the fair thing to do for everyone. So what we need to do is make sure that everyone can participate in sport. So we need to think of other options. For example, opening up the male competition to anybody for, of, of both sexes, including, of course, transgender men and women, so that we could have an open category, but then alongside that, we have the protected category of the female sex Because it's the female sex that needs its own category so that it can be meaningful competition between females. So it's a kind of interesting radical idea
1: to turn male competition into a sort of open competition. But then having alongside that women's competition, as you're describing, does that in a way
3: perpetuate a notion that women are weak? Well, When it comes to sporting performance, women have a lower maximal performance than males. That's simple fact. So, for example, the the fastest female sprinter in the world is regularly beaten by club level boys. Now, that's not suggesting that women are are weak, it's just that we are different and that's why we need our own competition. And
1: do you believe your proposition, the idea of having what's now male competition as an open competition, would be acceptable to those who have transitioned to live their
3: lives as women? I don't know, but that's the conversation that we need to have. Mm. Um, We need to explore all the different options, but it has to be a solution that is fair for everyone and that no one is unfairly disadvantaged. And at the moment, females are unfairly disadvantaged with the rules that are set at the moment. So um, we're at the first step really here of, of acknowledging there's a problem and then we can think of solutions. And we all need to be part of thinking of what those solutions are. And which is why, you know, the accusations of transphobia and the fear that women have talking about this, really, we need to get past that. Let's hear again from the football player and
1: Pride Cup Australia ambassador, Emily Fox.
0: I am a woman who prefers playing women's football because that's where my friends are and they love having me around. I'm not just a player anymore. I'm working at being a development coach. I'm on the committee at my club. I'm helping organize functions and I'm individually coaching my, my teammates to say can be the best they can be. I don't want to be taken away from that space and I'm almost certain they wouldn't want me to be taken away from that space either just because out of all the aspects of who I am as a person, one of those aspects is the fact that I'm transgender.
1: So where is the science up to now and where is it going in relation to the participation of transgender women in female sport? Researcher Joanna
2: Harper. Well, I'm I'm actually visiting Phoenix, Arizona right now. There's an athlete that is being studied at Arizona State University and I'm working with the exercise physiologist there. And I guess I should backtrack just a bit. All of the data that I gathered up until fairly recently was retrospective, but one would really like to study trans athletes prospectively before they start hormone therapy, do baseline studies, and then test them as they transition. And this athlete in Arizona was one of the first two that uh, we started to do this with. Uh, Yeah, that that is certainly where this research is headed, and I I definitely want to find some way of separating male athletes from female athletes using a performance-based analysis. And, you know, I I would hope that sometime in the future we can come up with other biomarkers to either augment or replace testosterone, but we we don't have the data yet.
1: And is it your, I guess intention that you do want to see more transgender women able to compete in women's sport?
2: Well, you know, in most of the countries of the world, there is zero chance that transgender women would, say, be named to a national team. In, in many parts of the world, it is considered more honorable to kill a transgender family member than to let that person live and bring shame to their family. And, and those countries certainly are not going to, you know, have transgender people representing their nation's Olympic teams. So... In some ways, you know, this question of of transgender people and and elite sports is a first world problem. But I think the question isn't whether we should allow transgender women, it's under what restrictions. And so I would certainly hope that a greater number of countries would come to that conclusion too, that, that we absolutely should allow transgender women into women's sports with certain restrictions and hopefully as time goes on we can refine those restrictions
1: and here on sporty a range of views on a subject that attracts strong opinions this episode is available for re-listening or pointing others to via the abc listen app or on the radio national website or wherever you get your podcasts from if you haven't yet subscribed search on sporty abc I'm Amanda Smith.
5: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.